Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Um, in today's passage, we're going to be thinking about singleness. Now, in God's eyes, there are two relational statuses. You're either single or you're married. Whether you're dating someone or not, you are all single. Now, you might not have realized this, but many people will spend more time single than they will in a relationship. Uh, we are single till we get married at, say, 20, between 20 and, say, 40, potentially, if we get married. Then one spouse will die before the other, most likely. And for many years, the remaining spouse might be single again for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So what we do with our singleness and our attitude towards it really matters. Now, there are some uh, who are single who are content with their singleness, but singleness isn't easy for everyone. There are others who are single who really struggle with singleness and long for the relationship and intimacy of a relationship. There are still others who are single because they struggle with same-sex attraction and yet desire to be sexually abstinent out of faithfulness to Jesus. And to make singleness even harder, our culture is telling us that meaning, significance, identity, and intimacy are only found in marriage or relationships. And youth group can make it hard too when people start getting boyfriends or girlfriends and are always talking about them, overlooking the opportunity to encourage and be good friends to the single friends that might be sitting right next to them or in the same Zoom breakout room. All of this can start making us feel like something is wrong with us because we're not in a relationship. The next issue that we um, might be wondering is, where does singleness fit within God's plan? The Bible begins with a wedding between Adam and Eve, and it ends with a marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. So what is the purpose of our singleness? Is it just a waiting stage before we enter into a more God-honoring relationship? And as I enter into this topic, I'm aware that I'm not currently single. And I want to say I can't personally understand every struggle every single person might be experiencing right now. But what I can say is God's word is able to help single people. And he has given the church single people who have helped me understand this struggle. Um, those experiences I'll use at various points in this talk. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7. And what Paul wants us to know is the gift of singleness. Uh, that singleness is a gift. The passage that speaks most directly about singleness is 1 Corinthians 7, particularly from verse 25. Paul seems to be fielding questions related to how or whether relationships, relationships change since we are now living in the end times. And in verse 17, he introduces the theme of calling. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, calling is not described in a sense that God tells you something or puts a feeling in your heart, like I felt called to date that person or work at a bubble tea shop. Instead, calling is described as the situation in life that God has chosen for you, which may change over time. Relationally, God calls people to two states, singleness or marriage. 
both callings are to be honored. The single life is a chaste or a celibate or a pure life. But Paul says in verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, uh, which is another way of saying someone they're engaged to or just someone they're, they're potentially considering marrying, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. And earlier in verse 8, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. In other words, be single as long as you can remain self-controlled. But if you're dating someone and you are starting to struggle with self, with controlling your desires, you have two options. Leave the relationship because your relationship with God, your holiness is more important than your relationship with a guy or girl. That is, if you cannot control yourself or marry. As uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 9 and 7, 36 say, the single person is also free to marry anyone who belongs to the Lord, as verse 39 says, which just means anyone who is a Christian. Nothing is wrong with remaining open to and even actively pursuing marriage once you get to the age of being able to get married. But this raises an important issue. If dating is for the purpose of finding someone to marry, then why would you date while you're at high school if you have no plans of marrying this person in the near future? Now, while there, there is no blanket rule to say you shouldn't date at school, I think generally speaking, Paul would warn against this because his great concern is holiness and he sees the purpose of, date, of, of relationships as marriage. So why put yourself in a situation where you'll be tempted to dishonor the Lord through sexual immorality? Paul would want to encourage you to trust God with your singleness rather than envying your friends who are dating and wait till you're in a position to marry someone. So singleness is a calling. In Corinthians 7, 7, the apostle Paul also calls singleness a gift from God, which means the situation in life you're in, whether married or single, is given to you from God for his purposes. So don't waste it. But in what way is singleness a gift? And how can we avoid wasting our singleness? Singleness is a gift because it gives us more time for sharing the gospel. Now, many Jews at the time would have struggled to see how singleness was a gift. The Old Testament was, here's a big word, centripetal. It directs people inward. Live and show, in other words. Children were evidence of God's blessing and barrenness not being able to have kids was evidence of God's curse. As Israel multiplied, God's promises were fulfilled and his fame went out to the nations, drawing them in to go, wow, what a great God. The New Testament is centrifugal. It directs people outward, go and tell. In the New Testament, children are no longer the sign of being part of the covenant people of God and being blessed. Now, those outside Christ are cursed rather than those who don't unable to have children so instead of live and show when we go out and when we tell the gospel and make disciples of all nations um, we're doing what god wants us to be doing for this reason paul says singleness is preferred in the last days in verse 26 he says i think that in view of the present distress it is good for a person to remain as he is i.e 
married or single, whatever state you're already in. Now, which crisis does Paul have in mind? I think it's the suffering associated with being in the end times. In verse 29, he says that the appointed time has grown very short. In verse 31, he says that the form of this world is passing away. Now, this is perfectly consistent with Jesus who predicted in Mark 13 that the earth would experience severe famines and plagues before the end. Dangers have been promised and Jesus may return any minute. And so Paul's instructions are like emergency measures. He's not warning against marriage. Instead, he's saying, in light of the troubles you are already experiencing, who needs the additional pressures and distractions of marriage as well? As one person put it, when high seas are raging, it's no time for changing ships. As verse 33 says, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. I'm working from home at the moment. It's a daily occurrence that while I might be doing work, Pip asked me to change a pooey nappy or look after the kids so she can go and have a nap or go and do the shopping or something like that. This is the life of a married person. My interests are divided. Whereas Paul's guiding principle for how we should live is mentioned in verse 35. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Whether married or single, the goal is undivided devotion to the Lord. And that means sharing Jesus with people and encouraging people in the gospel. Paul is one example who we learn in 1 Corinthians 9 remains single because of the kingdom. John Chapman was another example of someone who saw singleness as a gift because it gives more time for sharing the gospel. He was a single man and someone who spent a lot of his time sharing Jesus for more than 50 years. He knew it enabled him to concentrate on sharing the gospel without the many pressures of family life that his friends experienced. It gave his life, his life a lot of simplicity. In a seminar, when he was speaking on the importance of daily Bible reading and prayer, someone in question time asked how he was able to keep reading the Bible so regularly all the time and still do all his various ministry and being busy, etc. He simply said, oh, that's easy. I just wake up, roll out of bed, read my Bible, say my prayers and get on with the day. Singleness is a gift because it gives us more time for sharing the gospel. So how can you use your singleness to share the gospel? Scripture and Christian lunchtime groups and crusader groups at school are fantastic opportunities for encouraging other Christians and inviting your non-Christians to hear the gospel at school. That's why I'm thinking about starting up this scripture class. So are you making the most of these opportunities at school? Why not come along to the one that I've just advertised and when we go back in person, make sure you're joining them. Ignite is aimed towards being a really welcoming environment for you to invite your non-Christians after school on Fridays. Have you been coming and have you been inviting your friends? Or have you been inviting your friends to Spark on Sundays? Are you praying each morning for opportunities to share the gospel with your friends? If you aren't thinking about these kind of opportunities, if you're filling your mind and your time completely with other things like school or games or relationships instead, then you haven't yet understood God's purpose for your singleness. And we should pray and ask God to forgive us and to change our hearts so we can make the most of every opportunity for sharing the gospel.
The first thing I want to say is Jesus satisfies our deepest longings. Now, one of the most memorable lines in a movie comes from the movie Jerry Maguire. The speaker is Jerry Maguire, um, and he's a self-absorbed sport agent who finally realizes that the real secret to happiness has been under his nose the whole time. You complete me. How about just shut up? Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. <laughs> kind of corny, but maybe some of the guys are writing down some notes. Um, so why is this view so popular in our culture? Well, one reason is that in our culture, love has been um, kind of associated so strongly with romantic desire. It tells singles that true intimacy can only be found in the romantic sexual union of a couple, which can leave many people feeling that they are bound to be miserable and lead isolated lives unless they're in a relationship. For this reason, I acknowledge that some people might struggle with the language that singleness is a gift. There are such things as unwanted gifts. And for many, that, that um, the singleness might, you might feel singleness is an unwanted gift. A Christian minister named Richard Chin, who I know, lost his wife a few years ago and said that he had, been, uh, that he had gone from the gift of marriage to the gift of singleness. But it was a very hard thing to see the gift. it as a gift all the time. Then stop. Um, then there are those who have longed for a relationship for a long time. One single person painfully expressed, my whole being cries out continually for something I can't have. And yet if marriage is a gift, just like singleness, then we can ultimately rule out worldly ways of evaluating why we're not in a relationship. Saying two, we're too um, old or too young, too fat, too skinny, too loud, too tall, too short, and so on, those aren't the reasons why we're still single. Ultimately, we're single because that's God's will for us right now. For this reason, being content is what God wants for us. We can ask God for contentment in any situation, for comfort when we're sad about the good things we don't have, for joy in the good things we do have. Even the apostle Paul discovered of this secret of contentment that it didn't come naturally in Philippians 4.11. He says he had to learn it. God's ultimate aim is not to change your circumstances, though he might, it's to change you. God is more concerned with a change in our perspective than a change in our relational status. Now, contentment doesn't mean that you can't desire or pursue a relationship um, for the purpose of marriage. It means bringing your longings for a relationship to, the, to God with the knowledge that he cares for you. One famous Christian preacher called Charles Spurgeon put it beautifully. He said, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. And when you're feeling discontent about your singleness, remember Jesus Christ, the most fully human person who ever lived, was not married and never had sex. Somehow Jesus was fully satisfied and fully loved and fully fulfilled without marriage in his life. 
So the first implication of this is that singles aren't humans in waiting. If singleness is not enough, it means you're deficient, then so was Jesus Christ. Being single isn't an obstacle to being fully human. When lived out in a relationship with God, it's an expression of it. The second implication is that human relationships are appointed to, not a replacement for God. Why were you made? God made us to enjoy the bliss of relationship with him. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our earthly relationships are meant to be pointers to, not a replacement for, the fullest of enjoyment that is found with him. The third implication is that marriage as we know it in this age is not the final destiny for any human. In Matthew 22, some religious leaders are trying to argue that there is no resurrection. Through a hypothetical situation where one after another, a woman's husband dies, leading her to remarry seven brothers. In verse 30, Jesus answers them and says, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. The point is this, there is a greater reality to which human marriage points to, the marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. And when the future reality finally comes, the shadow that is human marriages will pass away. Instead, we will be like angels in heaven. Our deep longings are not finally met in relationships, uh, in marriage, in that romantic kind of sense, but in our enjoyment of Jesus, our bridegroom and each other in an intimacy that will exceed all of our current relationships. So in the truest sense, Jesus completes us. And we can enjoy this relationship with Jesus now. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We were created to be in a relationship with God. Jesus gives our souls true rest by bringing us back into a relationship with God. We don't have to earn it. It's a gift. Jesus satisfies our deepest needs. Jim Elliott was a man who knew this, and he stayed single for a long time because he wanted to prioritize sharing the gospel with those who didn't know Jesus. And tragically, he was killed on the mission field. But Jim was okay to remain single and to die for Jesus. Why? Because as he once said, he is no fool. He gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the end, the one thing we can't lose is our relationship with Jesus through trusting in him. And so I pray that you would help us all to grow in contentment with whatever situation of life we are in and think about how we can best use it for the sharing of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.